0: Have you heard of the Wolfman of uh, Spain? He was born in 1947 and his poor Spanish family uh, gave him to a farmer uh, not uh, far away from their home. Uh, The uh, owners of the farm there left and left him there by himself and never came back. And so as a seven-year-old, he had to forage for food. He emptied what was in the home and began to look out in the woods. Uh, One evening... He simply found a wolf den and climbed into it with some wolf pups. And when the mother returned, for some unknown reason, at least according to the story, she let him live there. And so he took on some of the characteristics and some of the socialization and even some of the communication of that particular wolf pack. And throughout his life, he grew up, communicated, and was socialized with wolves. Well, sometime in his late teens, someone found him and brought him back to civilization. And socializing and learning to communicate with the human race was very, very difficult for him. A couple of years ago, an interview was done with him. He's now in his 70s. And he compared and contrasted what it was like to be socialized and to communicate with wolves versus human beings. And one thing he noted was this. He said humans may say something and not mean it. The wolves never do that. Animals do not do that. Uh, this morning as we look at Jeremiah 31 verse 3, you may have some difficulty believing the good news that is found in verse number 3. In fact, I would say there there could have been some there may have been some life challenges that have come your way that might cause you to stumble over the wonderful good news found in verse 3. Let me get personal for just a moment. If you come from a broken home where your mother and daddy divorced, it might be difficult to believe this. If you've ever suffered mistreatment, if you've ever been wounded, it may be difficult to believe this. If you, if you are in a home where someone has a mental illness and they don't have quite have it all together, It may be difficult to believe this. And and on, on the other hand, if you've ever gone through a divorce, I find sometimes people that have struggled with divorce and with that have a hard time believing this. If you have a mental illness and you don't always have it together, it might be difficult to believe this. If you have wounded others and you're afraid they've not recovered, or even if they have, you may have a difficult time believing this text now let me say if if you fall into any of those categories or none of them I want to assure you you are in the right place you belong here and this is where you need to be now we've got an impressive looking building the steeple and the columns are quite impressive do not make the mistake of thinking the people on the inside are like that there is an awful lot of suffering. There's an awful lot of hurt. There's an awful lot of sorrow that people are carrying with them and some have carried with them for decades. They're nothing like columns and steeples. They are instead very much like you, but they have trusted the good news of Jeremiah 31 verse 3 and God's done a work in their life and I believe God can do a work in your life today too. In fact, when I'm finished with this message, I'm going to invite you to stand up from where you are. and We'll have staff here in the front, and we're going to invite you to come and step down this aisle and walk forward and talk to one of these staff members about your need. And maybe today's the day that you're going to meet Jesus Christ. Maybe today is the day you get cleansed from all your guilt and all your sin. Maybe today is the day where you begin anew. Something something changes, something's different, and I believe there's enough power in just this one verse— To accomplish it, God can do it because He loves you. He's got what I'm calling an unlove. And I'll elaborate on that in just a moment. But Jeremiah 31, verse 3, God speaks through Jeremiah. Now, in the previous chapters and the following chapters, God is threatening Judah with severe judgment. But He stops at chapter 30 and goes on to chapter uh, 33 with some wonderful and abounding promises, and many of those can be summarized in Jeremiah 31, verse number 3. It says here, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, some of your translations say, from far away. Well, a distant time would be far, far away. So the Lord has appeared uh, of old to me, saying, Yes, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. He says there. Uh, Here, God makes it very clear that despite all of the threats towards Judah, he loves them with the love that they can hardly imagine. And this morning, no matter what you've suffered, and no matter with which you've struggled, God loves you with this same kind of love in verse number number 3. Well, how do you describe this? Well, there are several ways to describe this. Uh, First, God's love is unfailing. God's love is unfailing. Uh, For the last several years, uh, Southern Baptist churches have reported that 10,000 of Southern Baptist churches have not baptized a single person in a year. 10,000 of them of the 40, 45,000 churches. 10,000 without a baptism. Two sermons a week, more than 100 sermons, and did not baptize a one. If you start doing the math, of 10,000 churches, and you uh, multiply that times two sermons a week, you've got an enormous number of Southern Baptist churches that preached and preached and preached and preached, and no one met the Lord Jesus. If you add to it all the Sunday school classes, who taught every Sunday, 52 Sundays a year, not one person came to Jesus Christ. You're talking about literally millions of expositions of the Word and not one person came to Jesus Christ. May I say to you, in this text, in Jeremiah 31, God says, I love you, and He uses some images here to describe this uh, love. In fact, in this chapter, Jeremiah 31, God says, I will do thus and so, 18 times in this one chapter. I make this promise to love in this manner, specifically, measurably, in a way that can be identified. He says that 18 times. I'm going to come through, and he emphatically states this, 18 times in just this one chapter, and some have counted up to 7,000 of those in the entire Bible. And here's what he says, I'm going to love you 18 times. And in verses 3 through 6, I'm going to love you like a suitor. In other words, I'm going to court you, Judah, and the world. In verses 7 through 9, I'm going to love you like a father, at least the one you've always wanted. And then, verse 10 through 14, I'm going to love you like a shepherd. Verse 15 to 22, I'm going to love you like a mother. In verse 23 through 30, I'm going to love you like a father... And then verse 31 to 40, I'm going to love you like a king. And so God looks at the people and God looks at you as a potential suitor, uh, as a child, as a sheep, a child again, uh, as the land like a farmer loves and as subjects in the kingdom like a king would love. He piles metaphor and image on top of metaphor and image to make it clear, I will love you intensely I will love you without fail, just like every one of these happens to love. And I want you to look at several of the promises here. Look at verse 1. At the same time, the Lord says, I will be God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. And yet there are marriages that every day are an experience of wounding and bitterness, despite God's promise in verse 1. And then verse number 17, look there. Verse number 17 of Jeremiah 31. There is hope for your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own territory or their own border. And yet, there are many children that have drifted from God and they've not come back year after year and decade after decade. They're estranged from God, despite the promise of verse number 17. And then look at um, verse number 33 and 34. Of Jeremiah 31. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. And the same language is picked up for the Gentile world in Hebrews. The book of Hebrews chapter 8. He says, uh, I will put my law in their minds. And write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall each man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. And yet, there are sermons that are preached, and there are lessons that are taught, millions every year in churches, and still no one comes to know Jesus Christ. In other words, all of these magnanimous great promises from a God who loves to keep His promises and the fire doesn't fall. The prodigals never reclaim. Souls are never saved. Prayers are not answered. What in the world is going on? I want to assure you, the problem is never with God. God always comes through. God, when the conditions are met, meets the need and fulfills the promise every time. In similar fashion, Isaiah addressed the people. And he said, The Lord's ear is not dull that it cannot hear. His arm is not short that it cannot save." But your sins have separated you from your God, and your iniquities have caused Him to turn His face away. God's love is a way for us to measure where we are with Him is the fire falling? Is the fire of God falling in my life? After all these years, after all these efforts, after all these prayers, why are things staying the same? Well, there certainly isn't anything wrong with God. Usually that means small or radical adjustments in the lives of His people for them to become channels of blessing and clean vessels For God to use. Listen to me. If God's love is not evidenced and manifested in your life and service, then find out why and spend every expense. Give everything you can to make sure you can be used of God because, in the most unchurched county in the state of Georgia, that is more similar to New York and Boston and Seattle than it is even Atlanta, Georgia, we desperately need a revival of the love of God. It's unfailing, but there's a second way to describe it. Not only is it unfailing, it is also unchanging. Some of you, when you go home today or some other days, you don't know what you're going to find at the house. You've got someone that's struggling and they're unpredictable. You don't know if they've taken their medication. You don't know what mood they'll be in. When you look online at your bank account or go check your bank balance at the bank, you don't know what you're going to find. In other words, it's very difficult for you to have one day to the next, much less one week to the next, that's the same. It's unpredictable. And it's difficult. You've got people that are simply not stable in your life. And look what God promises in verse number 3. The Lord has appeared to me of old, saying, Yes, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Your life and the significant people in your life may be unpredictable, but God has never had that problem. In verse number 1, Jeremiah says, The Lord appeared to me as of old. As of old. Well, that's uh, not usually language that we use in these days. The Lord appeared to me in my current experience the way He appeared in the past. Oh, the way He appeared to Abraham. The way he appeared to Isaac, the way he appeared to Jacob, the way he appeared to Joseph, the way he appeared to Moses, and, and God has let me in on this history of walking with God. God appeared to me the same way he appeared to them of old. And Jeremiah was able to recognize the current appearance of God in his life because it was similar And unchanging when compared to how he appeared to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and to Moses, and to others. In other words, God did not change. And friend, God's love never changes either. God's love has never changed. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the same. In other words... How he extended his love in days past is the same way he extends his love now. And how he extends his love now is the same way he's going to extend his love in the future. And he does it entirely by grace. You can rely on this God, you can rely on this God to be the same from age to age, from decade to decade, from year to year, from month to month, from day to day from moment to moment, and how much that means to those who've had an unstable life to this point. I remember a number of years ago, Sherry Michelle and I were out doing some door-to-door evangelism in my church in North Carolina. We went to a mobile home community not far from our church, and we knocked on the door, and we were met by a 20-year-old young lady. And I think she was probably, uh, the way she was attired, the way she was addressed, uh, dressed I, I would say something similar to uh, a, a bohemian millennial as, as cute as she could be but she didn't dress in the standard dress that most of those in that area of North Carolina dressed. she, she looks like she might belong better in downtown Raleigh North Carolina or, or a place like that nothing wrong with that just as cute as she could be but it didn't fit where we were and that by the way is where she worked and and what was interesting is that she invited us in We didn't ask to come in. She just immediately invited us in and was warm and very friendly. And we sat down on the couch across from her as she sat on a love seat, And we listened to her story. And she was willing to gush it out. At 20 years old, she had been a widow for one year. Her family had been broken. She was not able to rely on her parents. Her siblings were in trouble, and as we spoke with her, she told us about an exceptionally traditional church, a Catholic church, where she attended every Sunday, that was unusually traditional, more so than most American Catholic churches. If I'm not mistaken, they still did their services in Latin. And she said, you know why I go there? And we said, no, what? why do you? She said, I go there because I know that when I show up on Sunday, it will be the same. Well, that made a lot of sense to me. It did. Her parents were not the same from week to week. Her siblings were not the same from week to week. Her marriage was not the same from week to week. Her life was not the same from week to week. Nothing was The same. Now, we tried to shift her faith and her thought and thinking away from the sameness of a church to the sameness of a God who loved her so that she would trust Christ alone and not the church. Churches need to change, by the way. Probably need to change every week and every time they gather. But God never changes. You can rely, in other words, you can go to Him one moment and the next, and you will find God and His love to be the same. If anything's different then your experience of it, will just simply be better. God never changes. And for that reason, all the promises He's ever made remain the same. The death of Jesus Christ, well, that blood has never lost its power. Neither has the resurrection lost its relevance. Jesus Christ is still in the business of changing lives because God loves. There's a third way to describe the love of God. Not only is it unfailing and unchanged, but it is uncaused. It is uncaused. We tend to love, at our worst, people that are attractive. People that personally benefit us. People that are wealthy. And if they're not attractive, beneficial, or wealthy, then at the very least, they're pleasant. And it doesn't require a lot of energy to be in relationship with them. At our worst, that's generally how we love. At our best, we're entirely different. But that's oftentimes what is necessary for some people to love. In other words, there is something in the other person that causes us to love them. Of course, you have to question the quality of the love because what happens when we change? And we lose one of those things. And everyone goes through incredibly difficult times. Look what he says in verse 3. The Lord has appeared to me of old, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Everlasting. God's love is everlasting. Uh, That means it's eternal. One little boy was asked in Sunday school one day, What's the meaning of eternal? He said, something that won't give up. Something that won't quit. And that's exactly how God's love is. Now, when it says God's love is everlasting or eternal... That means it never had a beginning, and it will never have an end. Now, do you understand the implications of that? If God's love does not have a beginning, and if God's love predates your birth, if God's love predates your family, if God's love predates the creation of the heavens and the earth, and that's what eternal and everlasting means, and, and if God's love will extend beyond your physical life, If God's love will extend beyond your health, if God's love will extend beyond your investments and retirement account, if God's love will go beyond and still exist beyond your looks and your physical abilities, that's what it means to be eternal, then that means you have done nothing to inspire or prompt the love of God. In other words, God loved you before you could do anything to impress Him. God loved you before you could engage in a good work. God loved you before you could ever engage in a religious work. God loved you before you could ever change your behavior. God loved you before you ever met Jesus. God loved you before, before, before every admirable element in your life. And before any of those ever happened, God determined He was going to set His loving affections on you and never, ever change a one of them and keep them strong and vigorous and fervent forever and forever and forever. That is the love of God. It's uncaused. Uncaused. You've never done anything to cause Him to love. So why is it that God loves you? Because God is God and God loves. And since He will never change, His love for you never changes. It is uncaused. You could be 10,000 times more polluted than what you are now and God would still love you and take you if you were to turn to Jesus Christ today. Well, that's not the only way to describe God's love. There's a final way. And that is His love is unafraid. Look at the end of verse number 3. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. The word here, drawn, is the same word used in Genesis 37. When Joseph was thrown in a pit, and they drug him out of the pit to sell him into slavery. They, they, they brought him out. They drug him out of a pit where they had thrown him. God has drawn you, lifted you to get closer to himself. James 4, 8 says, God, uh, uh, It says uh, that uh, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Is that not a remarkable thing? I mean, when you draw to near to someone, is it assured that they're going to draw near to you? Is there any in the, anyone in the world that's ever made that promise to you? Well, you've got a few people in your life that will do that, but can, can you say that about everyone that you've ever encountered? You draw near to them, they'll draw near to you. God is the one who makes that promise. In other words, what God has done is that God has drawn you by His Holy Spirit, and He's doing that now. He's moving on your heart. He's moving on your life through these words and through others' prayers and through the worship and through your Bible reading or even seeing a Bible. There is a drawing influence by the Holy Spirit because God wants you to be near and dear to Him. In other words, God's not afraid of you. Now, it's not like, God, I'm not afraid of you. Not like that. I don't mean that kind of remark. But God is, I'm not afraid of you. Come on. The pollution in your life, I'm not afraid. The instability, I'm not afraid. The divorce, I'm not afraid. The mental illness, I'm not afraid. The scandal, I'm not afraid. the instability, I'm not afraid, the chaos, I'm not afraid, the wounds, I'm not afraid, the mistreatment, I'm not afraid, the forebode that hangs over your head, I'm not afraid, the anxiety, I'm not afraid, the physical decline, I'm not afraid, the vanishing attractiveness and looks. I'm not afraid the age I'm not afraid in other words God isn't afraid of anything undesirable in your life he knows it all and he wants you anyway that's what God wants his love is unafraid draw near to God and he will draw near to you I meet during the week with an awful lot of folks And cities attract all kinds, some that are very successful and some that are broken and some that are burdened. I met not long ago with a couple that struggling powerfully. The man in this couple a couple of years ago heard his mental illness or perhaps some evil force urge him at work to go out into the woods and claw his two eyes out. And he did, and he's now permanently blind without eyeballs in their sockets. The woman he was with has gone through two marriages where she's been beaten severely by two men. So much so it has misshapen the cranium in her head. and on top of that, several illnesses. Do you know something? God wants, God calls. God draws those two as much as He would anyone with attractiveness, wealth, personal benefit. Or any other desirable factor in life. And if God would draw them, God would certainly draw you. He loves you and He wants you. He is unafraid of any repulsive factor, objectionable factor in your life. Nothing scares God out of love. Nothing at all. But this morning, you may have to admit, you know something? I've been afraid. I know what the scripture says about loving others, and I've been afraid to. And so I've withheld myself. I've disobeyed God in that. And I'm not as stable or permanent or reliable. My love certainly isn't. I have sinned in that way. And frankly, I expect other people to earn my trust before I will love them. And I've sinned in that way. And my love has failed at times. I've not come through with all the promises I've made others. I've not even come through with the promises that I've made God. Do you know that Jesus bled for every one of those when he died? Do you know he got victory over every one of those when he rose from the dead? And if you'll come this morning and give your heart and life to Christ, do you know those things are going to be a bigger problem for you than they will God? God's already taken care of them through the cross. God's already taken them Taking care of these through the blood of Jesus Christ, and He makes this grace, this magnanimous love available to you if you will simply decide, I'm going to leave that behind. I'm going to leave it behind, and I'm going to trust only what Jesus has done for me and rely totally on the death and resurrection of Christ for the hope of meeting God and experiencing His love. So we're going to sing in just a moment, and when we do, would you step out from where you are, meet one of our staff members here today and tell them your need and let's get serious about meeting the love of God. Let's pray together.